0: Friends, the Christmas season is a time indeed in which we can, we're encouraged to sing and sing joyously to the Lord. There's no question about that, that the message of Christmas is a message of joy, is a message of comfort, is a message of hope. And yet it is also appropriate to experience moments of silence as a song has encouraged us. When we come into the presence of the one who who came and descended upon the earth, and we think about who he is that has descended, in a sense, the first encouragement we're called to have is silence. Reflect on who it is that has come down to descend among us. Friends, with that thought, I encourage you to open Scripture to the book of John. And we are reading this morning... From John one chapter one uh, ch- well, ch- chapter one verse one through eighteen, and you may find this passage in your scriptures. Um, well, it's the fourth gospel in your Bibles. But if you don't know how to find it uh, in a Bible, you're welcome to grab the pew Bible, and I tell you the page where you can find it in our pew Bibles. It's on page number eight hundred and eighty-six in the pew Bible this morning. This morning today and. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we will we will be in this passage, uh, reflecting upon the glories of the message of Christmas uh, as presented through the Gospel of John. And I want to remind you, um, as a way of, uh, of if you have not read the, the announcements in the bulletin yet, next Sunday morning, not only will we gather on on the Christmas Day and worship the Lord and reflect upon His glory, but we will also. Um, celebrate the Lord's Supper as part of the morning service next Sunday morning. So it will be a unique way in which we will celebrate uh, both the birth of Christ and the purpose for which he came uh, and the ultimate sacrifice that he has paid for our redemption. So encourage you, um, we will reflect this morning and next Sunday uh, in this passage uh, and uh, we will gather to worship and uh, exalt Christ and to celebrate both His birth and also His death. But this morning, let us open God's Word and hear from Him, from John 1. Here's the Word of the Lord for us this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you have given us your Son so that through your Son, we might know you. Father, thank you. We pray this morning that by the preaching of your word, you would reveal yourself to us once again. Speak to our hearts, we pray. And Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, we pray that you would reveal to us a Father once again. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. It was a joy to um, be together last Sunday evening as we have celebrated um, and began the celebration of the, of the message of Christmas, the birth of Christ, uh, with the Noah's Ark community. And, and last Sunday night, I read from the same passage. And you may wonder, um, wow, so we had one devotional uh, ser- short sermon last Sunday night. We'll have another one this morning, the same passage, and we'll have another one next Sunday as well. Well, friends, this passage is so rich that we could spend more more than even three weeks uh, uncovering this passage and the meaning of what is revealed to us in this uh, introduction to John's Gospel. The Word became flesh. A rather interesting Way of describing someone's birth. Don't you think? It's a rather unique way of speaking about someone's birth. The word became flesh. This expression has not been used about anyone else's birth. Except one. Jesus'. Is. And just thinking about his his birth through this phrase, we could spend quite some time unpacking it. And this morning, we wanna we want to spend a few moments unpacking the riches of this short sentence. The word became Flesh. We'll look this morning at what this means. And how is it that John chooses to describe the, the, the birth of Jesus through this language, through this sentence? We'll look at the meaning of, of the word. And then we will look at the description of, of birth as a becoming flesh of the word. Now, John doesn't give us many details about the birth of Jesus, certainly not the kinds of details that we are used to seeing in the Gospel of Matthew or in the Gospel of Luke about the the circumstances, the earthly circumstances that uh, brought about uh, the birth of the Messiah. So, in some way, John doesn't give us uh, many details about the birth narratives of Jesus. Nevertheless... He speaks very, very highly about the birth of Jesus. This morning, let's look at several truths about about the beginnings of Jesus. And the first one, as we will look at this passage, is that Jesus, as the Word, existed from eternity. Jesus, as the Word, existed from eternity. Now, how do you talk about the beginnings of Jesus? Where do you start We might say he was born of a virgin, of Mary. And that would be true. And it would be a good place to start talking about Jesus. But John speaks about the beginning of Jesus by talking and taking us, not so much to his earthly birth, but to his existence before he was born of Mary. John starts off in verse 1 with the phrase, In the beginning was the Word. Now, this way of starting a gospel is very similar to the beginning of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God. And Genesis speaks about how in the beginning, God created everything the heavens and the earth. In a way, John's gospel gets us thinking about Genesis in the beginning. Well, what happened in the beginning? Genesis tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. But John takes us a step even behind that moment. John tells us about a beginning before the beginning of creation. There is a beginning before the beginning of creation, and John will tell us about it. He says that in the beginning was the Word. In verse 2, John tells us that all things were created through this Word. This tells us that the Word had to exist before the creation came into being. This tells us that, that when John thinks about the beginning of Jesus... John reaches back, not just to the beginning of creation, but even before it. Someone existed before the world came into existence. John reaches back behind the veil of human history. And John says, if we could go before creation ever happened, there in the beginning, whatever you would call it, there in the beginning, in the origins you will meet the Word. The Word was in the beginning. By starting with the phrase, in the beginning was the Word, John is saying that there is no time when the Word did not exist. The eternal existence of the Word is where we must begin if we are going to think about who Jesus is. And we may find it strange that a being is introduced with this language of the word. Um, it's strange that John chooses to present the story of Jesus by speaking about the word. This description of the word, or the Greek word is "ha um, is not just a concept like the Greeks used to think about it. It's not just an idea. It's not even just a speech. John refers to the Word as a person, as a being. Now, how do we know this? Well, from our passage, the next phrase in verse 1, John says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, to say that the Word was God or is God is to say that He is a being. The Word is not just a concept. God is not just a concept. God is not just an idea, an ideology, a theory. He is a being, and therefore the Word is a being. More so, John says that the Word, not only the Word was God, and therefore he's a being, the Word was with God. Now that's interesting. Why would John tell us that the Word was with God? so that John distinguishes the Word from God in other words the word is not identical to God the word is with God so they're not identical there's actually a relationship here something someone is with someone else the word is with God The Word is not identical to God, and yet the Word is God. Now, by now, I think I've lost half of you. What do you mean? How can you say that someone is God and not identical to God? Well, friends, welcome to the introduction to the doctrine of the Trinity. How can you say that someone is not identical to God? and yet He is God? Oh, friends, the one who is born in Bethlehem is not just a manifestation of God. He is not just another form of God. He is not just um, the Father who may have transformed Himself into the Son, and now as a Son, He comes into our earth as, as, as born. As, as various... Other theories who reject the Trinity would have us think and believe. No, the Son is distinguished from the Father. And they are equally existent from all eternity. And there's been a relationship between them from all eternity. There was no time when the Son was not begotten. There was no time when the Son did not exist. The eternal existence of the Word is so important for John that he repeats it again in verse 2. Now, in a time when people didn't have highlighters or people couldn't bold their writings or people couldn't sort of um, make it clear that, hey, I want to emphasize this, one of the strategies they used was to repeat what they said. So in verse 2, we have a repetition of the same truth as in verse 1. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. This truth is repeated again in a different way in verse 18. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Let's get, let's get clear. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Do you see how John makes sure he cares deeply that we understand that this Word was in a relationship with the Father? From the beginning, however early you could go, however back you could go, the very beginning, the very source, you meet the Word. The Word was there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the 4th century, there was a man by the name of Arius. He was a bishop um, in a particular place, um, and uh, he claimed that there was a time when the eternal Son of God did not exist. When the Father was by himself. Uh, and eventually, in, 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 at some point in the eternity, in the, in the progression of time, uh, the Father begot the Son. Well, the church leaders at that time rightly confronted Arius and uh, denied his interpretation not only denied his interpretation, considered it a heresy. The church put forth a statement um, drawing a line in the sand about the eternal existence of the Son of God. That statement was drafted in 325 uh, at the Council of Nicaea. So the Nicene Creed was written as the response of the church to this teaching of Arius who who became very popular and popularized this teaching that there was a time when the Son did not exist. And the church rightly said we cannot have fellowship with someone who would deny the eternal existence of the Word. Then in verse 3, John tells us the crucial role the Word had in creation. Not only was He existent from the, from the very beginning of, of whatever you could go to, from the very origins He already existed. In verse 3, John tells us all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here we have a, a repetition of the same point expressed twice, once positively and the second time negatively. All things were made... Through him, That's a positive statement. The repetition of that truth in a negative way is nothing that was ever made was not made without Him. In other words, everything that was made was made through Him. By the way, this truth is said in explicit ways also in other parts of the New Testament. Colossians 1.16, all things were created through Him and for Him. Well, friends, such claims give us a picture of the one who was born. In Bethlehem of his lofty view of his glory of his existence from beginning from eternity start and from the very beginning of eternity if you could even think about that concept he already existed and then all creation came into being through him through this word in the Old Testament God has spoken and we are told that creation came through the act of God speaking. In the Old Testament, we also know that God delivered His people by speaking. We also know in the Old Testament that God brought life to His people by the words of the prophets who spoke the word of God. We also know in the Old Testament that when God would reveal Himself, there would be these phrases, the word of the Lord came to such and such. In the Old Testament, we see the Word of God personified, having actions as if the Word was actually a being. Now, in the Old Testament, all of that is a little hidden. We don't see very clearly all those things until we get to John 1.1. 1, 1. And now all the things that were hidden in the Old Testament now become explicit. Oh, this, this Word of God that we, we knew about in the beginning in Genesis Uh, The the Word of God that revealed Himself and came and traveled and and delivered God's people. Oh my goodness, this Word is an actual being. Oh, John makes clear for us that which was hidden for so many centuries. Why is it important for us to understand this pre-existence of Jesus as the Word that existed from eternity? Why is it important for us as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, friends, it helps us to, to recognize His majesty. What should wow us about the birth of Jesus is not simply how he's, He was born, although there's plenty of things in the way Jesus was born that should cause us to, to worship Him. But, but the, the pre-existence of the Word gives us an extra reason that we should should be amazed at his majesty, at his glory that he had with him before he actually was born. Friends, Jesus was aware of his preexistence. existence There's some people who tell us today that Jesus was not aware of his pre-existence. Oh, friends, he, he tells the, the Jews at one point who, who uh, challenged his claim to divinity um, and, and or claim to, to, to fame, if you will. They said The Jews said, Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus knew. He, he came into, He existed before Abraham. And the Jews rightly have a hard category. They don't have a category for it, so they have a hard time thinking about the answer of Jesus. Or think about His prayer when He prayed to, to the Father to, for the glory to be given to Him which he had before. Jesus was aware of the glory he had with the Father before he became incarnate. And John the Baptist tells us that someone is coming behind him who is actually before him. Oh, friends, the Gospel is full of evidence telling us that not only did Jesus exist before he was born, he also was aware of that existence they are Christians today who would try to teach us. There are theology books today who would try to tell us that we should not worry about the pre-existence of the Word, that that is just a human concept. Oh, friends, we cannot understand the riches of Christmas without starting with what happened before Jesus was born, with His existence from eternity. It helps us to recognize His majesty. It also helps us to engage in in worshiping Christ. Why should people worship Jesus? Why should people listen to Jesus? Why should people follow Him? Why should people adore Him? Oh, friends, yes, Jesus did many miracles. Jesus Jesus did a lot of great things while He was on earth. But there's something majestic and glorious that we should know about before he was born, that should lead us into engaging Christ in worship. John tells us of who Jesus was before he was born. And that alone is reason for us. It's good enough for us to worship him, even prior to the news of his birth. What's staggering about the the, the story of Christmas is that not simply that we have a baby born in a manger, To a family who was traveling away hundreds of miles away or or tens of miles away and no lodging in a place where things were already filled up, it is not totally unusual for a baby to be born in a manger. For a family who who was poor and had very limited resources, it may not be as unusual to see a birth in very meager and frugal Conditions, but to hear that that birth was the birth of the one who created all things the very one who has no beginning the very one who planned his birth oh friends when we understand the details of Christmas on the backdrop of this, His eternal existence and of His eternal role of being there with the Father, the only means, the, the means through whom everything was made, oh well, friends, that makes the details of Christmas so much more glorious. That's why, dear friends, I encourage you to meditate upon who Jesus is, by starting to think and, 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 and wonder and let your mind be wrapped around this truth, the one who was born in Bethlehem for our salvation is the eternal word of God who has no beginning, who is with God, distinguished from God, and yet God equal to God. Friends, I've tried to wrap my mind around that this week. And I just... It was an ongoing exercise. I pray that you do so today. I pray that you do so this week as we approach Christmas. Jesus, as the eternal Word, existed from eternity. Second truth we see from this passage and from this particular text is that Jesus, as the light, overcomes darkness. Jesus, as the light, overcomes darkness. In verse 4, John tells us some more truths some more details about his glorious existence even before his birth. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. This word that John presents us with is different than any other word that you or I can speak or hear. This word is a word with life in him. And his life is our light. Both life and light are essential for our existence. But life and light here refer not simply to the physical elements, they're also spiritual realities. And spiritually, both life and light have been lost due to our sin in the garden. The penalty of our rebellion, the penalty of our own ignorance of God and turning away from God is that it brought death, both physically and spiritually and eternally. And it also brought darkness, blindness, the inability to see the light anymore. Spiritual death is manifested through our ignorance of God and through our rejection of His ways. Now, just a few verses later, In verse 10-11, John tells us, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Yes, light shines in darkness, but there is a resistance to this light. The resistance of ignorance. The resistance of refusal. Just two chapters later, In John chapter 3, John tells us why people living in darkness do not welcome the light. Do not accept the light. Do not receive the light. Why? John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Even worse, in verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why do people refuse to respond to the light? Because in their darkness, they love darkness more than the light. In their darkness, they love their deeds more than the deeds of light. They don't want their deeds to be exposed by the light. And if we are more in love with the darkness, and this darkness, friends, could be just our ignorance of God. If we are satisfied with our ignorance of God, if we are in love with our, our darkness which manifests through our self-centered ways, through our own independent thinking that, is, that doesn't leave room for God to, to, to intrude, We don't make room for his ways. If we are in love with that kind of independent thinking that shuts God out of the picture, oh friends, we will struggle with receiving the light. We will find ourselves rejecting this light because we love darkness. As essential as life and light are for our existence, both physically and spiritually, John gives us a hint that the light that has shined Has shined in a conflict. Verse 5 The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a conflict. Friends, for people who love their darkness, the message of Christmas is it's not good news. It's not good news because it threatens that which they love the darkness. It's not good news because it gives us assurance that light triumphs over darkness. It tells us before, the, before this whole thing is over that darkness will not be able to overcome the light. So for people who love the darkness, the message of Christmas about the light is not a very good news. Have you ever gotten a, a gift that was hard to receive? Probably not. Well, let me give you an example. What if you unwrapped a gift um, this Christmas in which um, you got a book, and the title of the book would be Ten Ways to Overcome Your Pride? How do you think? Would Would you laugh? Would you say, oh, I'm so glad that someone thought about me and gave me this gift? Friends, the message of Christmas is a message that exposes what's broken in us. And when we love that brokenness, we will have a hard time receiving this gift with joy and open reception. In a way, the message of Christmas challenges our pride, confronts our pride, Confronts our self-centeredness. It may even confront certain things that we love inappropriately, or certain loves that we have that are wrongly directed. The message of Christmas exposes our darkness. Oh, well, friends, the message of Christmas though gives us assurance that this darkness that is being exposed is not able to overcome the light, and that's a beautiful part. For people who, 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 who realize their darkness and start hating it and start realizing its deceptiveness and its brokenness and they start yearning for something else and start yearning for an escape of that light. There is great joy and there's great hope in the message of Christmas. Shine, I mean light shines in darkness and darkness has not overcome it. You know a proof of that truth? A proof of that truth is us, you and I, if you're a Christian. I love the way Peter describes Christians in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. He says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness." into his marvelous light. The proof that darkness has not been able to overcome the light is you and I. Our lives together as the people of God. Our lives together as a church. Our lives together as a, a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people who are God's own possession Us. That's why, friends, church is a big proof. The existence of the church is a big proof that the message of Christmas is real. It's powerful. The light continues to shine. John pictures the coming of Jesus into the world not as an idealistic picture, but as a realistic picture. Jesus came to his own people, and his own people rejected him. But whoever did receive him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Friend, even today, the message of Christmas, the message of Christ, challenges us to receive the Christ. That indeed, all those who receive Him, all those who are willing to acknowledge their darkness, all those who are willing to forsake their darkness, to be rescued from their darkness, can call out to God and ask God, God save me, I want to receive Jesus. Oh friend, the message of Christmas challenges us with the same message of hope, the same offer of dispelling darkness. If you have not done that today, if you've not responded to Christ in this way, if you've not acknowledged your own darkness, if you've not turned away from it, Do not ask God to rescue you from that darkness. Oh friend, today I encourage you. Call on the name of the Lord. Seek Him out. Receive Him. And He will make you His own people. A part of His people. So that the light of Christ might be your light this Christmas season. Friends, this brings us to the third point. Jesus, the Word who became flesh. This we will leave for next Sunday. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that in Christ you have revealed to us who you truly are. You are the triune God, the God who has fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as well. Father, thank you that you have sent us your Son, who has existed with you from the very beginning, through whom you have made all things, who is the source of life and the source of light. You have made him to be a human being, and he has become flesh, so we can have your life, so we can be beneficiaries of your light. Oh Lord, would you continue to dispel the darkness that is around us, that is perhaps even inside of us, Lord, would you dispel that darkness through the coming of Christ and through the reception of Him by your people. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted, that the light of Christ would shine clearly, strongly, boldly, and the darkness will continue to be defeated even this Christmas. We pray this in the name of Christ, for His glory and honor. Amen.